Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to episode 138 of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, hopefully you guys are all doing well today. Uh, this is episode 138 of Successfully Funded. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from Woodshed Agency. Uh, and some of you might be asking, why do we do this sort of podcast? Uh, why do we talk to project creators? Well, you know, my goal and the goal of this of these episodes is to is to talk to project creators while they're in the middle of a campaign. Um, I want to know what they've done to become successful. What are they doing pre-launch? Um, what are they doing currently? How are they raising the, the money that they need to fulfill their dreams and to get their business off the ground? Um, and that's why we do this. That's why we do this. That's why I love this. I love these conversations. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Sammy Laxo from the campaign Dale of Merchants Collection. So we're going to be talking board games. So if, and if any of you ever ever listened to me before, you know that I don't know a ton about board games. So I, I tread lightly and I, uh, I swim in deep waters and I try to just, uh, you know, just keep my head above water, basically. But Sammy was great, uh, was great enough to, to jump on and kind of talk us through his game. And this is his, uh, I believe this is his third version of it. I believe it was third or fourth. Um, so, you know, he's got a, a great collection going on, and this one was an intriguing campaign as well. So uh, so that, that conversation is going to be coming up in just a little bit. But before we dive into that conversation, why don't I go ahead and give you a real quick crowdfunding power tip. Let's chat about a power tip for crowdfunding. One of the first things you should do before launching a campaign or even building a prototype or any sort of thing is do a buyer persona. Go through and really think about who is going to consume and purchase your product. There's a ton of tools out there. If you just Google buyer persona, you'll find a ton of templates and, and, uh, and systems to do. But really what I try to find is I want to go and I want to list out you know five uh, magazines that that person might read. I want to find five Facebook things that they might follow, five Twitter things, five Instagram accounts, five Reddit forums that they might be a part of. Um, I also want to look at where do they spend their money. So what I do is I like to go through and, and, and look at your bank statement and say, where do you spend 100 bucks a month on? Where do you spend 200 bucks? Where do you spend 1,000 bucks you know, a year on? And try to find what channels you're in because if you are doing those things, the chances of your consumer doing something very similar for your product is pretty high. You know, if you know if you are a parent and you made a product for kids, well, what are you reading? Because that's probably what your audience is reading. So don't overthink this audience a little bit as well. Like, don't think that they're going to educate themselves or they're going to dive deep into your content. But you want to be very focused as to who you're making because if you can identify this buyer persona then you can make really smart decisions when it comes to marketing. So think about that before you go and launch your campaign. Look at a creating a buyer persona. All right, successfully funded listeners, I got to go on a bit of a rant here. Um, I kind of want to break down the last four hours of my day here. Um, so this is currently Wednesday uh, evening. It's about 7.20 at night. And we just got back from uh, from the doctors for my daughter. Um, and I want to walk you through something that I am incredibly pissed off about right now. And I, instead of taking it out on my wife, I'm going to bring it to you guys and share my frustrations and share 
a little bit of behind the scenes of what it's like being a so you know being an entrepreneur in today's world and in this uh, crazy crazy um, effing world in a nutshell, right? And when things don't make any logical sense. So let's start off with this. So yesterday, um, at some point in the day or after dinner or something, my daughter got bit by a bug, um, you know, and we saw a little scratch on it and my daughter scratched it and whatever, it was a bug bite. Um, and that turned into like, you know, there being a, a pretty good red spot, like, to, you know, where her whole foot and leg is swelling or, up, you know, her shin down to her foot is swelling. So it's clearly serious. She went to school today. She had a fine day. We, we play on recess. She's walking. Everything's fine. You know, but we need to go to the doctor. So, you know, she came home at school and we instantly got in to see our doctor. Um, we go there and, and I noticed my wife's taking, taking a while at the, uh, at the counter. She comes back. And she's like, um, our insurance got shut off. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? Our insurance is off. You know, we, we don't have insurance all of a sudden. Now, my, my wife and I do, but my kids don't have insurance. Now, here's a little backstory on that. So, you know, being an entrepreneur uh, and having a marketing agency, it's not as if that I'm running gigantic profit margins here. You know, so my wife and I both work for the company and we are still under the minimum so that we qualify for my kids to have free insurance. And all you have to do is basically we pay like 10 bucks a month and they get insurance. So it's, well, I think that's Medicaid, I think is what that is, or yeah, or Medicare, whatever, whichever one it is, we have that, right? And we've had it now for a year and a half, two years, no, a year and a half, uh, yeah, a year and a half. And it's been fine and almost every single thing is covered and we don't even have an issue. Um, but we, every like year or so or six months, you have to prove your income. And we just did all that stuff. We just, you know, we, I mean, my wife and I just did this. We just went through all of our finances. It was, this was like end of August. You submit it and you move on for the next, and everything's fine. We're, we're still under the threshold of where you're supposed to be. And we're all, you know, all, everything's good to go here. Right. Um, and no, we find out today by going to the doctors that no, you don't have insurance. Don't have it. They shut it off a couple days ago. But but we paid for this month and we, we qualify. Oh, no, you have to talk to somebody. So even if, let's go with the scenario of that, um, that you know, all right, we don't qualify, which we do. We, we didn't have some windfall of cash. So let's just theoretically say that, that, we, um, that we, we don't qualify. So then the solution is that you're shut off instantly, you know, by September 5th to September, today's the 12th that we're talking about. You're shut off instantly. There's so there's no chance for us to even go get insurance. We're not aware of it. There's there's no notif no we didn't get notified of anything. Nothing's happened here. So now we're sitting here with we just got a we're going to get a gigantic doctor's appointment visit, um, which we'll have to pay for out of pocket because we don't have insurance for the kids. Um, my kids are going to go to school. If they break their arm tomorrow, knock on wood, God forbid, um, you know they'll bankrupt ours. That's all that'll happen. You know, if something else happens before we, because right now we have to frantically in the morning call and get insurance for them while we go and deal with the government scenario and then hope to get all, all this money back at some point, which won't happen. So then let's, let's continue this, this rodeo. So now we find that out. We go to the doctors and yeah, they've got to get some, you know, he, she's got an infection now in her leg. So it's serious. Like if this infection spreads, it gets into her blood. This is, you know, this becomes a, a, a serious, serious situation. So now we got to go get an antibiotic. So now we go over to CVS and guess what we don't have over there either? Insurance. 
So now we just dropped 80 bucks on something that should have cost, you know, nothing or three or four bucks, all based on probably some mother, you know what, making an air in an, in an office or, you know, or we're just getting completely effing screwed. And I am so tired of this. My kids should be covered. My kids should have insurance. We otherwise we would pay for it. It's not that we would. All right. I'll just add them to my policy. But we don't even we didn't even know. No notifications. Nothing. Just thank God we went to the doctor's day. Because what if we didn't go to the doctor's and I don't know, we got into a car accident or something happened. My kids would, you know, that would bankrupt us. Literally just kill us. You know, my entire life would be would be destroyed financially if something happened. And I'm tired of this stuff. This is a effing problem. And I, oh, I should have put, I'll put an explicit list on this. So if you're listening to the car, sorry about that. But this is bogus. And this is what it's like being an entrepreneur. This is so nuts. Bad, 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 bad. I'm, I'm just, I'm so fired up on it. This has been my last like four hours. And, you know, my daughter's nervous. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, yeah, it's just a bug bite. I get it, but it's you know, an infection. Ugh. So, all right. I hope you guys can are comfortable dealing with that story. Um, you know, we'll get it all squared away on our end. Everything will be fine. But right now, in the most in the moment, I am fired up, fired up. So I'm gonna unplug for probably the rest of the evening here. Um, but I appreciate you guys putting up with me and letting me rant a little bit because uh, I just didn't want to take this energy anymore into my house because I'm already I'm just oh I'm a ball of energy and nerves right now and I'm pissed. So okay, thanks everybody. Uh, All right, let's continue on with the podcast. All right, Sammy, I've hit the record button and we are jumping into a successfully funded episode. Why don't we do a quick sound check here? Uh, Why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, I ate some bread like I usually do. Sometimes (laughs) Sometimes I eat porridge, but today it was bread. Just some bread? Uh, anything yep. on that bread? Anything fancy? Just some butter? Butter and bread? No coffee? But, but, butter, cheese, and uh, tomatoes. Nice. See, that's, how, that's fancy toast. That's not just <laughs> bread. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we're sounding good here, so why don't we go ahead and jump into it. So why don't you start by telling my listeners uh, what you're currently raising money for over on Kickstarter? So, yeah, I'm Sammy Lakso from Snowdale Design, and I'm uh, collecting funds for Dale of Merton's collection, which is the third game in the series. Uh, they're all standalone games, and this is the third one, and it also includes a large box that you can store the whole whole series inside it. Very nice, very nice. So you said this is the, the third set of this game, the Dale of Merton's games? Is it, it's a whole collection series, correct? Yeah, that is correct. So, there, so far, there have been uh, Dale of Merton's, uh, the original Dale of Merton's, uh, Dale of Merton's 2, and Dale of Merton's collection, which is now the third one in the series. Nice. nice. And, and were those other campaigns also funded on Kickstarter, or did you do those uh, a different way? Yeah, those both have been funded on Kickstarter as well the, okay. a few years, few, year, few years ago. Okay. What's the time si- timeline between the games? When was the first game uh, published? Uh, it was like uh, about three years ago, and the second one was about two years ago, and now now we're ready for the for the third one because there was a longer gap between this and the second one because there was a new game, Dawn of Peacemakers, that I crowdfunded and released. Okay. Time, which is right now on the boats and should be released in a month or two. Nice, nice. So 
when you kind of first started this series of games, did you have the vision that this was going to be a three-parter or maybe even, is it more, is it going to be a five-parter? Like, is this the, the last of the, uh, uh, of, of this sort of series of games or did you have that in your mind that you were going to do multiple campaigns like this? Uh, absolutely not. The first game I did just for fun. So I could play my uh, game that I had designed myself with my closest friends and family. That was the, all, all that there was to it. But people uh, enjoyed my friends' success that, that maybe maybe you should release it or uh, ask some publishers if they they want to do it. And here we are here we are now. Um, cool. This is this is not the last one in the series. There will be at least a fourth one in the series as well, and the big box will have enough room to store that as well inside it. That's great. That's great. So, what do you look for? I guess you know when you're kind of working on a game like this that. Or, or what, what kind of started to co- kind of come up that you're like, you know what, we, we need to do multiple versions of this game. There's more to it. Like, like what did you start to see from the first version that made you want to make more of this? So Dale of Merchants is a deck building game. And uh, each game comes with bunch of smaller decks. And each of those decks are designed and uh, themed around a single animal. So for example, there are thieving northern raccoons who steal cars from other players. and uh, and there are slots who are so slow that you, when you play a card for them, it actually resolved, re, gets resolved at the start of your next turn as they're so, mm-hmm. so slow. Mm-hmm. And, so, and you only use a few of those decks in each uh, individual game. So there's a huge amount of variety based on which decks you include. And I always come up with new ideas for, for new decks. Mm-hmm. And so- that's why uh, there's so many so many games in the series because I always come up with new decks that are awesome to go and uh, combine with the previous ones in the series. Sure, sure. H- how do you keep all of that gameplay organized across multiple decks so that there isn't a, uh, you know, a fall off or there isn't like, oh, we use this one deck, it doesn't actually work very well with, you know, game three or whatever it might be, deck three or whatever. How, how do you keep all of that organized? Is there, is it notes or, or, or is it just, you know, just doing, being a good game designer? How do you put all that together to make sure that all this stuff plays nicely together? Uh, at first, you know, I did it uh, mostly just uh, how I felt that should be <laughs> mm-hmm. appropriate for each card and each deck. But the more I have created the decks, the uh, longer list of uh, so-called uh, guidelines or golden rules or whatever you have, want to call them I have for each deck and each card that what what I want the decks to feel like what I want it to achieve when included in the game and what the individual card can do what the individual card should do and of course what they can't can't do and what they shouldn't do right. and all, all kinds of that and for example if a card uh, is a nasty one that can be used to steal cards from other players then that uh, deck should have multiple cards of things of that sort. So there's not only one card that can be used to steal cards. There should be a bunch in a deck. Mm-hmm. But if the, and so few, some decks uh, provide a lot of nasty interaction and some uh, provide none at all. But there are no decks that provide just a tiny bit because then only it it can be that only one player gets gets access for those cards. So it should be that all players get access to the nasty cards or none, no players get access to those those kinds of cards. 
And where did you learn like game design like this? Where, where did you pick up this skill set um, to, 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 to build uh, games like this? Uh, well, something that <laughs> helps is that I, ha I have played games all my life and <laughs> that, that certainly helps a ton. Sure. And uh, being a critical thinker helps <laughs> as well. And uh, just by trying, trying it out. So uh, it is not the first game I designed, but it is what the first game that I uh, designed in uh, mindsets that I want this to be a great one. So before that, they were just some funny, funny thought exercises <laughs> mo mostly. But if you, you use plenty of time and uh, write your methods down and play test a ton, <laughs> that helps. That right, helps right. greatly. Is there sort of a is there like a mentor or a, a or like a type of design that you play like? Is there other people like what you do in terms of like you know I I I make I sound like this guy in the music industry. So he's like oh I kind of I kind of sound like this or this these two bands together. Is are you is that same same thing sort of for game design? Like I'm in the style of do, these two or three games. I'm not sure if there are any individual. It's like a maybe a combination of multiple. So. I like to create games that have a, a great team in it. So the team must support the mechanism because that makes it easier to learn the game, easier to teach the game to players. So that's one of the things that I like to do. And other one is that I like to create uh, games that have really simple and elegant rules, but a lot of depth uh, between the interaction of those rules. So the complexity shouldn't come from the rules. It should come from uh, combining different parts while you get play the game so it's easy to jump in but there's a lot of depth when once you are in the game that's cool H how many like how many players for this type of game that you have here for Dale of Merchants is it four players two player uh, Dale of Merchants is for two to four players so two three or four four players and there's a team team rules as well for the four players so you can either play competitively each for themselves or two versus two when you're combining forces with an answer player. That's cool. That's very awesome. So when you start, I mean, I guess this would be for like the person who's just kind of maybe thinking about getting into game design and stuff. What is the first step? I mean, what is like, all right, I've got this, I've got this in my brain. I think it would work. What do you start to do to start to put together a, a, a game like this? Uh, if you haven't uh, designed any games, earlier then i would suggest maybe trying some ho house rules or variants or designing small expansions for your favorite games just to get get an idea of what it what it's like without uh, having to use all so to, and without having to use that much time in it and then if you feel like the game design is something that you really like then you should uh, start with a smaller project so like for example I started with Dale of Merchants, which is a kind of small uh, a card game. And only after that, I success that you might want to jump in in a heavier, larger game with more components and higher price point and things like that. Sure. And do you, do you like recommend starting off with, you know, like a, I mean, just a simple like print version of something or just, just so that you can actually play it with somebody to get some feedback and 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 if so how long is that sort of time frame does it take you to kind of put a game together in terms of like i got an idea it's on a napkin i've sketched it out to 
I've got, you know, I've, we've played tested it. You know, how long is that usually that process usually take? Uh, yeah, I certainly recommend start, uh, getting the game on the table as soon as possible. You can uh, ponder around and think about the rules for the game as long as you want, but it ne will never be ready until you have actually played the game. Mm -hmm. And you, you will uh, uh, figure out things that don't work with your design or your idea way sooner if you just uh, get it table as soon as possible and to, to try things out. And for the time schedule, it of course depends a lot what kind of game you're talking about and uh, how, how uh, much time you're able to, able to design and play test it. Sure. If you, for example, have a full-time job and so forth. So for example, for me, creating one medium to large size game uh, takes about a year, including design, development, play testing, illustrating, publishing, all all of that. So it's a huge, huge time thing. And I'm doing it full time. If you're doing it on the side of your other job, and maybe you have family and stuff like that, so it will take a lot longer at that point. And for this, how many people are on your team in terms of like, are you, are you doing the illustrations or how, what are you working on particularly as opposed to maybe some of the stuff that you've either outsourced or are having partners on? Yeah, so I'm the only, only guy full time at my uh, company, Snownail Design, and I do the design development, play testing with other, other players, other people, of course, and illustrating and publishing. I do have help uh, for playtesting, as I mentioned, and then I have uh, help for some of the story and flavor of my game, uh, of my different games. All my games are set in the same world so far, the so-called world of animal folks, Daymuria, and uh, I have a lot of help from different people who have been uh, fleshing out the world and the different animals that inhabit it. Mm. What, what sort of has been the, maybe like the biggest roadblock over the last few years of you making games? Has there been something that you just couldn't do or it just was out of the reach of where you were as a business yet? What, what's been like the biggest roadblock? I'm not sure if I have had any significant roadblocks. Some, uh, something that I, I can thank that for is that I have uh, read a lot of about uh, the industry and crowdfunding online. For example, Stamy Stegmar has an excellent uh, Kickstarter blog on his website. And I started small with Dale of Merchants and then I have been uh, slowly growing up the complexity and uh, at the same time the price point of some of my games. So there are, I have, I've been lucky and I have been uh, investigating and reading a lot about the industry so i have been able to avoid most of the <laughs> big roadblocks that's great that's great and and my follow-up question to that would be what has been something that's happened that you just really knew you had something what was the moment where it just all felt like you know what i need to go deeper down this i need to make three versions of dale emerges what, what what was like the, the moment where you were like this is this is really happening well the first moment one moment was when i played the game with my friends and they said, this is awesome. I think people would enjoy it. That was their first step in uh, starting the business. Uh, then the second one was that when the first Kickstarter get funded pretty, pretty easily. And uh, as it was my first one, that was a 
really huge step. And sure. then the second crowdfunding campaign uh, get got funded uh, in less than ten hours or something like that. That that was was the point that I pretty much moved fully to creating board games. Uh, until that point, I was also juggling between board games and my main main job at the same time, and that that was the main sure, main tipping, sure. tipping point. That's great. What what was sort of the metrics you were looking at to jump into doing this full time? I mean, was there just a moment where you're like, I, you know, a I can obviously afford this to to work full time at my my own company here. I can continue to board make games. But how did you make that leap into uh, to leaving your 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 job to do this full time? As you said, it's mostly when I can afford to do so. <laughs> so that, uh, of course, before that, I thought about if I want to do it. And when the answer is that I like this more and I like my current day job, then, <laughs> the, then I try to make it possible. And once the Kickstarter campaign for the development since 2 was as successful as it was, then I was able to make the leap. That's cool. That's awesome. Where are you located right now? Uh, in Finland. Okay. What, what's the gaming scene like there? Is it a big, strong community? Is, it, is there pockets of people? What's, what's the industry like for, for games there? I would say it's pretty strong. And it's, of course, it pretty much uh, pockets of people around the, around, the, uh, around the country. And one of the big and good things for myself is that people in Finland... Uh, can speak and at least read English pretty well. Mm-hmm. And we don't have pretty much none of the big uh, hobby games are released in Finnish. So we play all our games in English. So that's, that made it possible for me to have one version of my games that I can sell uh, internationally and here in Finland because people are used to purchasing hobby games in English. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in terms of like, uh, I guess just do you travel all over Europe to play this at all? Do you do you travel and show it off, or how do you get people to kind of play test it in your area? Is it just friends and family, or is it do you have like a pocket of people that you you know are mentors, or you trust their opinion? They're not just saying, "Oh no, it's great," you know, just to say it. Like they're really giving you solid feedback. Like how did you cultivate and find that community? I mostly uh, play test and uh, with the local local friends and people here. In my in my city, mm-hmm. and uh, then I and I really trust their feedback, and I I trust myself to know if this is any good or not. And I do uh, travel around Finland to show off the game, and once a year I attend the Essen Spiel where I where I show up my new games as well, and that's mostly the advertising that I do myself. I don't have. Uh, Mostly I don't have time to go uh, internationally to multiple conventions a year because I, I need to design and develop right. and play this and sure. all that stuff. I don't have time to run around to different con- conventions all the time. That's great. That's great. Well, let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter campaign, which is why we're talking today. So, so this is your third campaign, you said, correct? Is it third or fourth? Yeah. Third one? Uh, this is the fourth campaign and the third in the same series. In the series, right. And, you know, we're talking right now and you've got 24 days to go. You've got, uh, and I'm looking at in US dollars here, um, but you've, you've absolutely crushed your goal here. You're, for us, I'm, you're, you're sitting at $76,000 with, uh, you know, over 1,100 backers, which is amazing. That's a lot of people wanting to play this game. So 
you know, because you've done this before, what was the strategy for this particular campaign um, in terms of pre-launch and what did you do to, to, to get ready to, to announce this, this project? Well, first of all, I made sure that the game is as good as it can be before the campaign. There are mostly just illustrating left for certain parts of the game, but I made sure that the game is uh, developed, fully playtested, and the rules are available. And I have also illustrated most of the stuff that I show on the campaign page, so it looks looks professional and nice. There are a lot of stuff that are incomplete, but I don't show those parts because they're not relevant. They're mostly right. duplicates of the stuff that there already is. And I also reached to uh, people that I know like the series earlier, and then I sent prototype versions for them so they can they can cover the game. And one of the most critical things is uh, email newsletter. So I have people who like uh, my stuff subscribe to my email newsletter so the first thing after i launch the campaign is i send out the newsletter to those people uh i think they know that now there's more stuff to the series that you already know and love mm -hmm. so i get the big burst at the start at the first hour of the campaign from uh, people who are coming back to the series that's great that's great and was there any sort of, um, outside of like designing the game, just sort of metrics in general, was there any sort of metrics you were looking at um, in terms of making sure that you got a, a big burst on the first day? I mean, did you know your newsletter was going to produce certain things? Or was there Facebook ads? Or was, was there any sort of, I wanted to get this many new, new email addresses for this particular part? Or were you just banking on the success of the past two games? Mostly the past, past games and... Uh... During each of those campaigns, I have gathered more and more email email subscribers, and even between campaigns, I have I have a form on my online online page, page where people can subscribe to the newsletter. Mm -hmm. And one one small thing, uh, or I should mention at least two. The one first one was that I started. Uh, a development diary a few weeks before the campaign launch on board game geek where i tell about designing the game and introduce new new and tell about the new stuff that i introduce in the game and of course once the campaign goes live i will tell them that now it's live you can go go and pack the game and another thing is that there are a ton of different uh, animals in the game and i uh, came up with an idea where people can success new new animal animals to the game from their favorite which which they like mm -hmm. and i opened a voting system where people can success their new their ideas and that was also a few weeks before the campaign so i got some some talking going on about yeah. about the game and now during the campaign i will the for, first thing was that they success their animals and now i have, have a ton of <laughs> uh, of New, new animals listed and I will pick uh, 10 of those and uh, uh, for three different polls that I will run during the campaign and people can then vote and I will I have I promise that I will include the animals with the most votes into the game and that's one 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 way for me also to uh, generate generate interest from people for the game sure. because that's one way uh, it's important that people can uh, feel part of the process and they can uh, give input input to the project mm -hmm. creator. Well, I think that's what I mean. For, I think board games do this the best out of any category right now on Kickstarter in terms of 
uh, of uh, giving opportunities for the crowd to basically participate in, in the project somehow. Did you have that going in? Was that always something in your mind where you're like, you, you kind of knew uh, I'm going to get great feedback. I'm going to do these polls. I'm going to get people to give me suggestions. Did you kind of always know that that was going to be something that you would do? Uh, I certainly didn't have that all the time, but I knew that I wanted some way for people to uh, get excited and get involved in the campaign. And when I did uh, invent the, or came up with the idea of people suggesting new animals, which they have already done before this in uh, r randomly in f forums and mm -hmm. uh, social media where they say, hey, do you, do, did you have these animals? I, I really like this. And, mm -hmm. and I thought that if they're doing that without me asking, how much will they do if I actually <laughs> ask, ask about those opinions from people? Right. So that was the main thing that get me invent this new new system for the Merchants collection. That's cool. Now, are, are you focused a lot on social media or are you more, since you're in the board game world, more focused on like uh, the forums, board game, Reddit, or boardgamegeek.com and Reddit, or are you still looking at Facebook, Instagram and, and, uh, and those tools? Uh, I personally use mostly uh, board game geek and a little bit of Twitter, but that's pretty much it. I think that some some of the authors are pretty much waste of time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they can they can gather interest from people and stuff like that, but it's it just it's so much of your time if you if you can if you try to concentrate on all of the social media out there. And and, and are you like do you particularly how much social media do you do for your game off of when you're not running an active campaign? I mean, is it something that you're always producing content around it, or that do you do like a big push around the Kickstarter and then you kind of die down a little bit and then, you know, go back and forth. Pretty much the latter. I do a big push during, during, uh, before and during campaigns. And then I, uh, pretty much live low on between, between sometimes posting a little bit stuff, but not, not that much because it takes so much time to actually do the games that I, uh, I just leave there. So, social media. That's great. That's great. On, on back burner when I'm actually doing the game, creating right. the games. Yeah, you got to make the game. You got to make a great product. So, so with 24 days to go in the campaign, um, you know, what are you doing to just kind of keep momentum going, um, just to make sure that you're not getting, you know, uh, a big trough uh, of uh, or or a lot of days without backers. But what are you doing just to keep that momentum going and 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 just to keep all the energy up? Well, as you can see, I'm taking part of these amazing <laughs> interviews. Yeah, outside uh, of this one, you know, <laughs> you know, what are the yeah, other things you might be doing? As I already mentioned, the voting polls. I will. There will be one new, uh, one new bird. The game, uh, one new mammal, and uh, one new rep reptile. And those will be uh, three different uh, voting uh, polls, which we all each of them will last for one week. And first of those uh, polls will start uh, actually tomorrow, and that's one one way to have always new and fresh uh, st things for people to vote on during the campaign. Mm -hmm. And there's the different decks that I already mentioned shortly uh, before that this game will come with eight new decks and I will, I'm slowly introducing those during the campaign to people so they can ex get excited about that. And I always ask which deck they actually want to hear about next. So I, I haven't set in stone which order I introduce them. Mm -hmm. it, it, those are some of the things and 
also there are new previews coming up even during the campaign so the biggest previews are already up and they were pretty much the day one but then there are smaller ones popping up during during the campaign mm, that's cool and are are you actively trying to get um reviewers or influencers in 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 the game world to to play this right now or is that something you did in pre-launch that was pretty much pre-launch because it's uh it's a good habit to give the previews people who preview the games at least a few weeks uh if if any way possible a full month would be would be nice to have them time to play play the game before they have to do their right their content right right so after the campaign ends and it takes whatever Kickstarter 10 days or so to, to put the money in the pocket, what starts the process? What, what happens after that point? Uh, after the campaign, I will also start, uh, I uh, spend way less time on the campaign and on social media and stuff like that. So I have more time to actually finish up the game. So the main thing is that I will have to illustrate a lot because there are, uh, 55 individual character cards, which is a new thing in the Delft Merchants collection. Those are kind of like uh, unique player powers that people will start the game with, and each of those will have a unique illustration. And I have not done most of them mm-hmm. just yet, so I will mostly start illustrating a whole a whole lot. Yeah, right. And and how? What about shipping and manufacturing? Is that stuff kind of already set in stone because you've done this before, or is that something you're still kind of working through? I have the manufacturer and fulfillment centers all all of that already ready and just waiting for me to send files to the factory, and then they'll start printing the game, and then I already know which fulfillment centers will will handle the shipping, and all of that have already been uh, planned and contacting them that's great way, that's way awesome. ahead of time that's great that's great well Stanley where can people learn more about your games and dive into your world and, and just kind of you know kind of take everything that you're doing in uh, I have an active website uh, snowdaledesign.fi and there you can find links to a ton of stuff all around the uh, online online world so there are links to tens and tens of uh, dozens of uh, previews and reviews for of different games and there are links to the different development diaries that i have written on board game geek and all of that so it's a, a kind of hub where you can find a links to pretty much everything that i have done around the games that's great that's awesome well everybody out there i, I hope everybody goes and checks out dale of merchants collection over on kickstarter now you've got about 24 days to go here probably when i put this up you'll have about 20 days to go so i encourage everybody to go check it out sammy this is awesome i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, i wish you a lot of luck in the future man keep going keep making games this is awesome thanks so much thank you for inviting me it no problem That's a great one. all right thanks thank so much you. bye bye All right, the song we're going to listen to today to finish out this episode is a song called Yesterday's Superstar. I always have a special sort of love for this song in my heart. It really, to me, felt like one of our, one of my best best work, right? My songwriter partner, Jake, and I wrote this um, with one of our singers named uh, Unique from Chicago. And this song just always felt like, uh, yeah, I don't know, it just felt like it was one of the, like the one. Um, and uh, so I'm going to play it now. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a great rest of the day, and I will talk to you all next week. Thank you.